Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Thanks, guys. I'm really honoured to be here to talk on this. Um, as Andre said, it's something that I've kind of been really interested in for a while, but I've never like spoken about it, I guess, formally like this. So, um, yeah, just a bit of housekeeping. I'm not very well today, so if my energy level is low, it's not reflective on the passion that I have for this topic. Although the fact that I'm still here, even though I feel well, shows how passionate I am <laughs> to talk about this. So, um, yeah, I've been listening to like the past couple of weeks on the podcast and yeah, I'm just excited to be a part of it. And today I'm going to be speaking about the role that women played in the resurrection and um, the resurrection story because it's if the resurrection story didn't occur, it's like the centre of the Christian faith, do you get what I mean? Like, it's what our faith is basically based on. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're all wasting our time and we can do better things on a Sunday like yoga, brunch, I don't, I don't know. You can still do that after church anyway. But yeah, so um, that's what I'm going to talk about. And the first thing that I want to say from the get-go is that the resurrection is recorded differently in all four Gospels. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because sometimes people can brush over it because it challenges them or whatever. But um, each Gospel account is slightly different. So in Matthew, it says that Mary Magdalene, um, the other Mary, and Cleopas' wife was the ones who were at the... Wait, does everyone know what happened at the resurrection? No, so, school make it up. Okay, let's, let's start from there. So, Jesus was crucified. He was arrested. He'd been doing his ministry for like three years. He'd been kind of shaking the table a little bit, causing some controversy. And then finally, the... Um, religious leaders got what they wanted and he was arrested and he was crucified and it came time for him to be buried when they buried him they made sure that uh so he was buried first of all in someone else's tomb it was a rich like jesus didn't have no money so he didn't have a tomb but a rich man called joseph basically gave his tomb to jesus and jesus was buried in the tomb a stone was rolled over the front of the tomb which essentially sealed the tomb and guards were placed there because the religious leaders were like we don't want his followers to steal the body and claim that he'd been resurrected because jesus had been making like allusions to resurrection and that kind of thing so like yeah let's get some guards there let's get a stone there let's make sure that like this guy's followers can't just steal the body and claim that he resurrected so after he was crucified and buried and whatever, um, on the third day, some women came to the tomb. To be, was it, yeah, it was the third day. Some women came to the tomb to kind of like minister to the body. So what they would have done, they would have like the spices and whatever else. And in the four gospels, it's a slightly different collection of women. So in Matthew, it was Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, um, Cleopas's wife. In Mark, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, 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 Jose, um, and Salome, who was the mother of the sons of Zebedee. In Luke, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and just other women. And in John, it was just Mary Magdalene by herself. And the reason why I want to highlight this is because haters will say that it's the Bible contradicting itself, but it's not. They're wrong. And a contradiction would be one account saying that 
Jesus' body was there and another account saying that Jesus' body wasn't there. What we see in the Gospels is the fact that um, the Gospels were written off interviews with eyewitnesses and one feature of eyewitness accounts is that they were always varying the periphery details because people pay attention to different things. So if me and you witnessed a car crash, I might pay attention to the fact that there was a mum with a pram who kind of jumped out the way because I'm a mother and I'm very aware of that. Well, you might pay attention to the fact that there was a bike you had to swerve because you're a cyclist. And do you know what I mean? Like people pay attention to different things. But as long as the main issues at hand are corroborated, there's no reason to take issue. And even in, is anyone like a true crime fan? I'm a bit obsessed. Even like with police accounts as well, when they take eyewitness accounts, they it's actually more suspicious if everyone's story is exactly the same because it suggests that they sat down together and they were like, okay, this is what we're going to say, what happened. And these kind of small variations actually confirm the authenticity because it shows that each gospel writer went to different people for the information so they're not all getting it from the same bob whoever they get they've gone to different people so um and most historians atheists theists skeptics and believers they kind of say that this just proves that the gospel is as, as historical a document as anything else whether it's recordings of hannibal caesar whatever else so i just wanted to it's not what this like the whole message is about but i just wanted to say that because i think it's important that as christians we know why do you know what i mean like i've not always known why there's been different kind of variations and at times i'm kind of like, oh you know maybe uh, but there's no reason for us to be like shook or anything like it's calm we're good um, so, what are the important bits that the Gospels confirm? Jesus was crucified and buried in another man's tomb, a rich guy called Joseph. There were witnesses to this who were mainly women, and there were guards and a stone to seal the tomb. Mary Magdalene, whether she was with people or not, returned to the tomb the following day, early in the morning, but found that it was empty. And Jesus then appeared to her and whoever she may have been with. And essentially, the vital truth at the centre of Christianity was put into the hands of women. And this is important because, as I said, if there was no resurrection, we are all fools. <laughs> We're wasting our time. So I think it helps to kind of paint the circumstances that led up to this. So at the, um, at the crucifixion, Jesus' male disciples had scattered. They were like, like they've gone. They'd been with Jesus for years. They'd heard him speak. They'd ate, slept, washed, chilled, whatever, with him. They'd heard him mention this possible death. They'd beefed over who would be the person sitting next to him in the kingdom. Um, Peter, in particular, was known for just, like, doing the most. Like, he was like, Lord, I will never betray you. Like, when the guards came to arrest him, he even cut off a man's ear. Like, he was on it. He made big promises. But... When things hit the fan, they were all gone, scattered, like finished. They couldn't even stay awake to pray with Jesus in his final hours, do you get what I mean? But on the other hand, Jesus' female disciples, and it's really interesting how a lot of the time we, we, when we refer to Jesus' disciples, the default is always the male disciples, but these are his female disciples as well because they still travelled with him. They essentially bankrolled the whole operation because the Bible specifies that it was the women who kind of gave. I don't know what the men were doing, but the women were giving. <laughs> no shade. Um, 
But um, they watched him. They when he was crucified and all of them had scattered. All the men had scattered. They were there with a couple other men, but it was mainly the women who were at the foot of the cross watching him die. They stayed there. They watched him be buried, and they came back to the tomb. Like they were ride or die, life or death. They were there. All this like through those three days. I don't know where the the male disciples were. They were carrying whatever, but the women were there. And so who were these female disciples? We don't have all of their names, but um, obviously Mary Magdalene's probably the most kind of famous one. She's often confused for the woman who was um, caught in sin and kind of washed Jesus' feet with her hair and tears, but they're not actually the same kind of woman. But um, she was still healed of seven demons. Some scholars think she might have been quite wealthy because she was called Mary Magdalene, which meant Mary from Magdala. So to kind of have that title suggests that she must have been someone who had quite a lot of social standing in Magdala. Um, and there was also Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's house manager, and is also mentioned as one of the women who was healed by Jesus. And when you think about it, she was taking, she was one of the people who financially supported Jesus. So she was taking money from Herod, who was like the establishment, who probably hated Jesus. Well, yeah, he hated Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. She was taking money from him and bankrolling Jesus. Like, I think that's kind of gangster stuff really quite funny um there was salome who was the mother of the first apostle to be martyred james not jesus brother but another james because everyone was called like james and john and mary and whatever so there's a lot of them to keep track of but she was the mother of a james who was martyred she was also the mother of john who wrote revelation and um i think it's really important because there were other mothers as well like mary who was the mother of another james and joseph who was um disciples that these are mothers as well do you get what I mean so they were they had their own kind of um they were their place was meant to be in the home like looking after the kids and raising but they gave themselves to support Jesus ministry and I think that their witness is probably why their sons became disciples as well and I think it's important to highlight just the kind of pivotal role that mothers have played in the ministry of Jesus as well because sometimes it's very easy I know as a mum to think that you can't you know you've got a sit back or people kind of just discount you because they assume that you're going to be there with your babies like you're not about it but these are women whose witness was important they supported and financially they supported Jesus financially and essentially the biggest product of their faithfulness is almost the lives of their children who gave up their lives to serve the gospel as well so they get an honorable mention so in any kind of context these women will be dope they'll be amazing but we really have to take into account the cultural context that they were living in. And I know that Jamelia did a really good job of kind of spelling it out, but I'll just reiterate a few points. So women were rarely seen outside of the home at this time. And even if they were allowed out, they had to be doubly veiled. And even if they were gonna go to the market to buy stuff, quote unquote, women's work, they still had to be accompanied by anyone, even if it was a slave, like they couldn't just go by themselves. They didn't work unless it was absolutely necessary. Like your family was in poverty. That's the only time when it would kind of be allowed for you to go out to work. And they had no rights of possession. Like they didn't own anything by law. So they were either their father's property or they were their husband's property. And they didn't really have property of their own. So with that in mind, the fact that these women were noted as supporting Jesus' ministry, like that's no small kind of thing. Generally, they were illiterate because they weren't allowed to partake and they were not allowed to partake in public worship. They couldn't speak to men that they weren't related to. 
their status was essentially that of a ch- like equal to a child or a slave. So a fully grown woman would have the same legal sta- like status as their toddler or the slave that washed the pa- like washed the pots for them. So much so that their testimony was not allowed in court. So that's to say their words meant nothing. Five women could witness a robbery. It doesn't matter. The robbery didn't happen because it was five women who saw it happen. So let's think of that in the context that Jesus appeared to them first. Like, why would that make sense? And like, why would you do that? Like, these are women, like, the word don't mean anything. Why would you appear to the women? Like, why would you entrust the make or break factor of the gospel in the hands of people who were barely seen as full, like, fully fledged human beings? It does not make sense. And he had options. He could have appear to the Roman guards, that would be quite a big deal. Do you know what I mean? If, like, the Roman guards who were tasked with guarding the tomb actually came forth and said, actually, this Jesus, he's actually, like, real, he's not there, that would have been a big enough witness. Do you get what I mean? He could have appeared magically to wherever his disciples were cowering, well, his male disciples were, like, cowering or whatever. He could have just appeared in the midst and just been like, hi, guys, I'm here. That would have been a powerful witness. But he purposely expressly like it wasn't an accident god chose that he would appear to his female disciples before anyone else and that's important and the first very obvious thing that we can learn from this is what jesus's whole entire ministry kind of just replicate and it's the fact that jesus is no respecter of persons and i've been in church for a long time so i know that's like church jargon respecter of persons but what that basically means is that he doesn't judge people the way that we do and it's been a consistent feature throughout his ministry he doesn't from his if you look at his lineage like the lineage of the messiah there were quote-unquote gentiles and at that time it was like the jews were the chosen people but he had if you look at Jesus' like history, he had Gentiles, he had um, prostitutes, like all of these kind of how you would expect the Messiah, the Son of God, the kind of do you know what I mean? Like that holy kind of thing. You wouldn't expect him to like through his like great 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 whatever grandmother to have been a Gentile prostitute from wherever. Like it just wouldn't make sense. But God has a habit of using the people that would otherwise be overlooked and marginalized and not just using them but using them in powerful powerful ways so it's not an accident it's not like god is like oh you know what they're about so might as well like no he chose to like everything that god does is on purpose like there's a reason for that and um in 1 samuel 16 verse 7 in the old testament um when samuel the prophet was trying to find the next king of israel and god said you know go to this family and he went to the family and he was like oh yeah it's going to be like the big brother it's him the big strong one he'll be the next king and what god actually said was like no no it's not the big brother it's the little one the little scrawny shepherd who was so when samuel even went there and called all the brothers together david wasn't even with them because the father was like it's not going to be him so he's out in the field but god told samuel no no no, call the little brother in from the field and God kind of rebuked Samuel and he said, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God responds to the faithfulness of heart. And I think that that's also why the women were chosen because the women were down like from the beginning. Like, can I just reiterate that another time? Like they were like writhing, do you know what I mean? And I think that God sees that faithfulness. And even when you kind of just look at his witness like his like his ministry time and time again like there was the widow's might 
Do you get what I mean? I know last week um, we spoke about the woman with the issue of blood who just reached out, like, anything little, like, the smallest kind of thing that we'll be like, you know, what's that? God sees it and he sees it as a testament of faithfulness and he responds to that. Um, so, And I really also think that in Jesus doing this, he was setting slash continuing the blueprint for what the kingdom is meant to look like. So I know Jamelia mentioned that at the time of the New Testament, Jewish culture had kind of fallen from the standards of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, women were partaking in public worship. They were more of a kind of like modern life. But by the time that we got to New Testament times, like there weren't, there weren't that. And I mean, yeah, the Jewish kind of culture at that time had been corrupted. It had taken on these kind of worldly and ungodly influences from Greek, Hellenistic culture or whatever. But by Jesus kind of doing this thing, I feel like he's kind of almost setting the stage. And he does set the stage because if you if we look at how Acts kind of carries on and the new churches were kind of how they grew, they did grow with kind of this idea of equality in terms of the service between men and women. Like rich women helped to bankroll the early churches. Rich women are noted in the acts as, or not even just rich women, but women are noted in the acts as being kind of part and parcel of um, the New Testament church life. And I think that Jesus kind of set the standard from that. And I mean, it's still very easy to kind of look back in the Bible and kind of scuff a little bit and be like, they're kind of backward, you know? Like women can't testify in church, in um, in the courts. Like, what's that about? But I mean, even now, like, for all our progression, we're still quite far off. Like, if we think about the kind of current climate with this whole, like, sexual harassment and stuff, and, like, even now women aren't believed, do you know what I mean? How many women will come out and say, this man did this, and still people are like, did he really? Did you, do you know what I mean? Like, did you encourage it? Did you, I don't know, like, are you lying? Do you want money? So as much as we kind of think, you know, we're not backwards like that, we kind of are, because that's the nature of sin. We're all backwards. And even as a church, we can look and as a wider church and see that we have fallen too. Like we've allowed the values and the morals of the world to infiltrate the way that we interact as individual people. We've allowed the dominant kind of sinful patriarchal culture to kind of dictate how we do church and how we interact and how we even view like women in general. Like one of the things that really kind of gets on my nerves is the way that I feel like women are not, and I'm not speaking for this church, but just churches that I've been in in general, like, until you're married, you're almost not seen as a adult woman, like a whole person. It's like, people might not even take notice of you until that, that wedding announcement comes out and you're now missing someone and it's like, oh, okay. Like, and yeah, it's really bad, it's rubbish. So not only do we need to kind of renew our minds, away from the kind of corrupting influence of the world we also need to repent because ultimately it's sin do you know what i mean we can put the nice sociological thing i can give you the rundown of why and the historical influence of patriarchy on the way that like black british culture or what, do you know what I, mean? I could do all of that but it's sin do you know what i mean it's sin we need to repent and we need to follow Jesus' blueprint because Jesus was a feminist before feminist was a word. Do you get what I mean? Like, he's the map. He's the living example of how we are meant to be as members of God's kingdom. He wasn't rich. He wasn't good looking. He didn't come from social standing. He was a man who interacted with 
women on a level that at that time was seen as scandalous. Like, why are you letting this random woman wash your feet? Like, why are you talking to this Samaritan woman at the well? Why are you letting this woman who's been bleeding for the last 12 years to even touch you? Like, he, like, shook the table. He kind of did a lot. But it's, So it's all good saying how things should be, but what can we concretely learn from the example of these women that have been... Um, just used powerfully by God because there would be no gospel without Mary Magdalene and whoever was with her like there would be no good news because they would have kept it to themselves and I don't know what we'd be doing but yeah and just imagine yourself in Mary Magdalene's position for just a moment like the men have scattered who knows who's next the men scattered because they thought that they'll be next they thought that the religious leaders were going to come and gather up all of Jesus' followers and um, kind of put them to death. So they've all scattered and hiding. Mary Magdalene knows this, but she is still compelled by her grief to go to the tomb. She's still compelled. She's like, I don't care. I don't care that I'm not even meant to be walking by myself. I'm going to go to the tomb to serve this man who saved me, who saved me from seven demons. And once she's given that message, she's then told to go and tell people. So not only is she compelled to go to the tomb, she's compelled to spread the message and run with it run around telling people that a man who died three days ago is alive like just just think about that for a moment someone came to you and said no 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 like even if it was miraculous and angels and all that kind of stuff and they're like yeah yeah this is all great but now go and tell people without the angels and the light beams (laughs) like now just go and tell people what happened like go do it like, I mean, I have to admit, man, like, I don't know if I'd do it. <laughs> I might be like, can you just go? Like, you came to me. Can't you just go to everyone else? Like, it's not that hard, right? You're God. But um, she did that. And ultimately, she would have made herself a target because people be talking. There's a woman who's running around telling people that Jesus, the criminal who was crucified three days ago, is alive. The very person who they put guards, a stone, and all this kind of stuff to stop this thing happening, she's going and telling people that it has happened. Like, you're making yourself a target. So we really have to ask, like, what compelled her to do it? What is it that allowed her to do it? So this is my conclusion feel free to object afterwards (laughs) um so in the story of the other woman in luke the woman with the great sin who was like washing jesus hair with her tears washing jesus feet with her hair and her tears and stuff and people are like why are you letting her touch you bruv like what are you doing and you know she's using all this expensive perfume and she's wasting it like why aren't you telling her off and um jesus rebukes them for reacting to her in that way and she kind of says that the reason why she's showing such great affection is because she had been forgiven so much, so she loves so much. So she, this woman, knew what it'd like to be marginalised, maligned, rejected. So when she was shown acceptance, when Jesus said, no, your sins are forgiven, what you have done doesn't matter, she, like, she reacts to it greatly. Do you know what I mean? It's like she's gone literally from darkness, from, from being on the outskirts, to a man who at the time is seen as this kind of, like rabbi teacher like this kind of new kid on the block kind of thing he's actually saying to her no 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 like you're cool you're worth you're worthy like i accept you and that's why she reacts so much and in contrast jesus says that those who have been forgiven little they love little and i feel like he's actually talking about the privilege of the men around him 
because he's like what do they why did they even invite him to this meal because it's interesting do you know what I mean he's a person of interest they invited him to the dinner party to show that you know we're down with what's happening we're aware it was to improve their reputation they weren't interacting with him on the level of a saviour they were interacting with him on the level of almost like a social accessory to kind of cement their status and their understanding so when Jesus that's kind of how I interpret him saying like those who have been forgiven little they love little like they don't even think that they need him so they don't really love him do you get what I mean but this woman she's been forgiven a lot like she knows what she needs she knows what the world says about her and she knows that this man has come and in front of everyone has said the complete opposite like he's basically put his neck on the line for her so that's why she loves him so much and I think that that's very symbolic of the female disciples devotion and why they were ride or die because they knew what it was like to be marginalized they knew what it was like to not have rights they knew what it was like to not be accepted not be valued not be regarded so the fact that Jesus came and said to them not only are you kind of not only am I kind of talking to you not only have I accepted you you are valuable you are members of the kingdom like I think I feel like that's kind of what inspired their devotion because they had been forgiven they knew what they had been quote-unquote forgiven of they knew what they had been brought out of so even if it wasn't like the kind of very grave serious sins just the healing the kind of disease that marks people out as pariahs whether it's like continually bleeding or people might say that the seven demons that um Mary Magdalene had it might have been some kind of mental illness or spirit whatever it was the kind of thing that marginalizes you and pushes you aside if someone comes and kind of takes that away and not just takes it away but then embraces you like oh gives me shivers man it's a lot and even at that time like women were they were just completely invisible like they were defined by who they were married to that's why you it's like Mary, wife of Zebedee or whatever, they were defined by their sons. So it wasn't even like you're a whole person. It's Mary, mother of such and such. So for this man, to have this encounter with this man, and it's a man as well, it's not... And I think it's quite significant that Jesus came as a man because I think it shows how privilege can interact with those who are not privileged. So as a man, even though he wasn't rich or wealthy or whatever, he still had... He was still, like, heads and shoulders and tails and whatever above the women. But how he interacted with them, it, it changed them, it emboldened them, it allowed them to feel like, yes, we are going to go and serve at the tomb, and yes, when the angel tells us to go and say this, we will go and do it. And I will go so far to say that they had a realer understanding of the gospel than the men did, because they, like... It's like... I kind of have beefs, or well, I've had beefs sometimes with maybe some kind of preachers who kind of go on about how depraved and sinful and whatever and whatever you are. And I do think that needs to be balanced, but I think it's important that we have to acknowledge what God has saved us from. We have to acknowledge the truth of the fact that we don't really deserve that much as people. Like, we don't because we're, we're kind of rubbish. We're kind of waste men and women and whatever, just as a starting point, just on a base level. So I feel like because the women knew what it was like to be seen as pariahs and to be seen as this and that, and then to know what it's like to then be accepted. And so I feel like they just had a realer understanding of the message that Jesus was bringing. Like the men were still thinking that Jesus was here to do war on the Roman Empire and set up a physical kingdom. And like the men were still at that level. Do you get what I mean? 
but the women I just feel like they knew and that's how they could serve and that's how they could stand and watch their saviour be crucified and mutilated because it was like they knew that this is even if at that time they were grieving which they would have been they just knew that this wasn't it do you know what I mean they knew and a real encounter with Jesus that they had it overshadowed everything the expectations all of the restrictions everything that they would have been indoctrinated as little girls growing up in that society that encounter with Jesus however many years they were with him it overshadowed absolutely everything because there was no way that Mary and whoever she was with could have been faithful servants and also believe all that society had told about her like she couldn't hold the truth of Jesus' resurrection and who he was and the fact that she was a woman lesser than couldn't like all this kind of stuff like they didn't match up do you got what I mean it was like a battle and thankfully for us all the truth won in Ephesians um verse um, chapter 6 verses 12 in the amplified version it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly and supernatural places and the kind of phrase i want to highlight within that is the world forces of this present darkness like the way that this world is is not an accident it's the result of so many different things yes there's a spiritual element but it's the result of humans and ideologies and political like parties and policies and all that kind of stuff so it's these things that kind of oppress us whether it be because of um our social standing our race our gender whatever it's those are the things that kind of oppress and shackle us and which is why i really have a problem when people say that you know like Christians just preach the gospel you know don't worry about all that social stuff it's like no we can't like we can't do one and not the other do you know what I mean like Jesus came to bring the gospel but at the same time he interacted with the world on a level that kind of just shook everything else so I think my prayer for us all today will be that we would have such a transformative experience of God of the gospel of the truth of who Jesus is that it would not just bring us kind of like the personal liberty to live our lives and to realise that no matter what the world says about us, we are still valuable, we are still loved and all that kind of stuff. Just beyond that, but that it would embolden us to spread this life-giving message, do you get what I mean? Because it is a life-giving message that we hold and it is a privilege that we have this life-giving message to hold. And sometimes it is scary. Like, like I know, mate, I could tell you all the times that I've failed, <laughs> but this isn't about me, it's about Jesus. <laughs> but I could tell you all the times that I've been intimidated and whatever, it's scary, but sometimes I've just got to think, like, maybe today I just haven't woken up at the forefront of my mind acknowledging the transformative experience that an interaction with Jesus has. So that is my prayer for us all, that this week, today, whatever, that we shall not only just know the gospel but that we shall feel the gospel and what it means in our lives and how it transforms our standards individuals but also how it transforms how we interact with others and how we bring this message to the world and um yeah man that's that's it really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london.